This is Value Nigeria Podcast. It's a podcast where we jointly learn how to invest profitably, all in a bid to build wealth. We build it one step at a time, one day at a time. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the podcast. Last week, we had an exciting conversation with a fund manager. If you haven't listened to that conversation, we talked about a wide range of things from investing through to um, investment education of our children and um, how, to, how to pass on the knowledge basically that we have built over our lifetime. Um, this week, I also have another interesting conversation with a guest as well. My guest on this week's episode of the podcast is an individual investor and he also doubles as a fund manager as well. He's a serial entrepreneur who has had vast experience even with building startups and, um, you know, we'll get to hear all that experience and bring all that experience to bear today. My guest on this week's episode of the podcast is Mr. Etinosa Omorige and, um, He's the founder of Money Culture Investments Nigeria and um, Bolly King. Um, those who live in Portakot Axis will definitely know that um, company. I do hope that you take excerpts even from today's conversation and genuinely apply them to your life. I assure you that it will definitely make both your investing practice and your individual lives a whole lot better. Do enjoy our conversation. So thank you very much for joining us one more time on this week's episode of the podcast. Um, as earlier stated, I have a wonderful guest, somebody who I respect a lot and who is quite loaded. And um, I eagerly anticipate this um, conversation as I know it's going to be very, very productive and very fruitful. And my guest on the podcast today is Etinosa Omorige. Um, he's a skilled pers- individual investor. He's an entrepreneur. And he has a lot to bring to the table. Um, so thank you very much for joining us today, Etinosa. Um, do you mind just introducing yourself to the audience um, today? Okay. Hi, Ajibola. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, my name is Etinosa Omorige. Uh, I like to say that um, I am a, a child of God. And I mean that in the sense of being a child of God. Right. And then um, I, I have been in the field of finances for quite a long time and um, not not it did not begin in, in the professional sense. It was just me being inquisitive as to why certain persons finances were a certain way in my family. So um, I've been there for a long time. Um, also, like I like to think that um, I have an organized mind, you know, and I simply um, apply that organized and creative mind to problem solving. So you can also say I solve problems. As to who I am, I am a child of God. I, I try not to, um, um, or how, how do I put it now? I don't take on tags. I, I try to remember not to take on tags. So I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur or a businessman and me and those are the things i do so i do a couple of things but generally it's application of organized and creative mind to solving problems and creating you know um, new things all right thank you very much for that um, response um, usually, before I get to bring guests onto the podcast, I take some time out to try and do some online search, like try to know more about them just so that the the conversation is a little bit more personal and quite, you know, f- the fam- we can build some familiarity one way or the other. And one thing I found out while checking out checking you out was that you're, you take your spirituality very, very seriously. And it's obvious in your, your, the very first statement you have said, uh, being with us on the podcast, Um I'm very interested about something you've raised, which is talking about how you got started into the world of finances, how investing came into your consciousness. Can you just share a little bit more about how you got started on your journey, please? Okay, yeah, it's it's very um, it's very important that I share that, and I'm glad that is a question you are asking because um, I learned from 
a guy called Simon Sinek. I, I don't know if you've heard of him. I think some of your audience may also have heard of him. You know, he's, um, I wouldn't really call him a motivational speaker. He's, he's not, doesn't come across as that to me. He's more of a teacher, a guy that, that, that teaches about life in general, whether it's business, personal values, and, and tries to, you know, um, what's the word? He tries to create or help you see what you ought to see, not necessarily what um, um, you've been programmed, you know, by the system of the world to see. So how I got started, I learned that from him that you need to always communicate why you are doing what you do. So for me, um, how I got started was, I mentioned it earlier in my initial response, was an observation I made, and that observation also affected me. You know, I tell this story, I've told this story a thousand times, I believe, you know, which is that my dad was was a, a, a rich man, a very rich man at that, because, I mean, he worked in the oil industry. He was to become personnel manager at some point, you know, of a company then called... Um, Set Forex from Bijou. So that's the company that broke into Transocean today and uh, Slum Bijou on one, on one hand. And he's a French company. So my dad was personal manager. This was way back 1989, So, but for some reason, after leaving the company, uh, well, not for some reason, because of the things he too didn't know, like most other people in this world, the family became broke just a few years after he was paid off heavily. That affected me. I mean, I remember it clearly like it was yesterday. I, don't know. I know how it felt as a child, as a 10-year-old child in that time, how we, we lived a certain way, go to good schools, could go to Shell Club. This was in Port Harcourt. You know, we could live where, and suddenly just two years after or three years after my dad left his job, uh, sometimes it was, it, was, it was a hassle trying to get food, you know. So... I saw that play out. Then I also saw the second time in his life when after, you know, being the hard worker that he was, started his own business as an oil servicing firm too. And then he did very well many years later after this whole um, period where, you know, he struggled financially as a family. Then for the second time again, this was as a businessman. Some things went wrong in the business and I noticed how that the finances went south again. And this time around, he actually did not recover until he, he passed on, you know. So um, as far back as 2001, I began questioning a lot about finance. Remember I, I said earlier that I have a gift. It's an organized mind. Yep, yep. And a creative mind. Uh -huh. And then I also have another gift, which is I have a, a mystical for accuracy and truth so notice how i'm saying these things are gifts it's not i'm not necessarily trying to take glory well one can say that i have done the work of developing that gift good enough but they are they are still gifts all the same so i i i began to apply that in in questioning everything as regards finances because uh, like like my dad as a personnel manager he got to employ um, a couple of my relatives, actually lots of them. I started seeing some of them too, after they left the job, the high paying jobs, they'll get broke. Some of them will even die. You know, I began to notice that pattern, not just in my family, but generally how people leave well paying jobs and come broke. So I started questioning and reading books about, I mean, I spent most of my days in Uniport reading books on finance, read that, poor that, think and grow rich the millionaire in you, you know, lots and lots of those books. And when I read, that's where that gift I have comes in. I take what I read. I understood I wasn't in America, but again, you can, you can bring these things. You can, uh, you can find the context in which these things can be applied in our own society. You know, I began to make those adjustments to you know, suit our society, to see the patterns they were talking about in America, I could see it in our society, you know. And then I now understood 
between 2001 and 2006, which was the first time I made my own first investment. That was what I was doing. I was reading, studying. I was even traveling from school to ask people questions, you know, stockbrokers, the people I could find, you know, financial advisors to, to know more about these things. And then um, in 2006, I understood that most people, when I say most, a whole lot of people do not know what money is about. They just know that they need it. They know how to work for it, either as businessmen and women, or as employees, or as both, you know. I then discovered that that education was needed. So I started out trying to tell everyone, you know, just share the good news where I was in Unipod, I was still in Unipod then, telling everyone that, oh, there's this thing, there's this, it's like I discovered something big, you know, I also could see how that you didn't need to, after I'd read all these things, you didn't need to be, uh, you didn't need to have a lot of money to eventually become wealthy. There was actually a knowledge gap. So that was, that was how I started. And then I was teaching this from 2007, 2008. I registered my company, Money Culture Investment Solutions Limited. I started out by wanting to just teach people what I had discovered about money, investing, and wealth accumulation. And then I had a client who then said that, well, since, since you teach this so well, I was pretty young back then, uh, how about you also start up managing portfolios? So that was how the portfolio arm of the entire thing started. So yeah, that was how I got into this. And I've been, I've been, I've been sticking to the same principles. And one of my best discoveries, I would say, is Warren Buffett. You know, his ideologies, him and his partner, Charlie Munger. I think the core ideologies, actually, if one is to be honest, uh, there, there, there ought to be nothing more in finance that you should be looking for if you understand their core ideology, which is basically value. Value over everything. And by value, are you human productivity comes before every other thing in finance, you know. So I stuck to that, and I've been sticking to that ever since. That's the core of um, my financial ideology. Awesome, awesome. Um, thank you very, very much for sharing that story. I, I can see how personal it is and how, um, how much lessons I could draw from it. Thanks for having the courage to share that, sir. Um, you've mentioned that, yes, your original identity is being a child of God. However, you've also alluded to the fact that you wear quite a lot of hats uh, as being a creative thinker, mm-hmm. being an entrepreneur, or, uh, or functioning in the capacity of an entrepreneur and, and as an investor. Now, I just want to ask about your journey into entrepreneurship. I know you've set up companies such as uh, Money Culture Investment, which you've mentioned, um, Bolly King. H- how has your journey through entrepreneurship been? Okay, that, this is an interesting question. And about the child of God bit, um, for you and your listeners, kindly note that I'm not saying that from a religious point of view whatsoever. No, no. I'm saying that from um, um, a spiritual and a, a, can I call it a basic point of view? I don't mean it in a religious manner at all whatsoever. When people say, oh, child of God, no. So, so that um, uh, nobody puts me on the pedestal and expects, <laughs> you know, exactly. I'm, I'm someone's child and it's not, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not my doing, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think just the same way uh, people are born into this world, not of their own doing. So I, I think I need to make that point, yes. Then as to my entrepreneurial, um, um, you know, journey so far, still ties to the same things I've been saying. So Bola King was one of those creative moments. So it was both getting more creative with the already established Bola industry in Port Harcourt and organizing it better. So even though that business only lasted for about four years due to um, some um, internal um, issues with uh, partners, but that's um, that's that. 
and then um, money culture. And there are a couple of other things I do that I didn't I didn't structure into you know any business. So one example would be that uh, I help in the course of building money culture itself. I had to learn how to um, build databases and manage data and analyze that data. So I started learning how to use Excel. And then when I discovered Google Sheets, I moved to Google Sheets, which is still Excel, but just online, Google's version of, you know, Google Spreadsheet or Google's version of Excel. So over the years, um, I really got a hang of how to use that. I understood data structure more. I understood analysis on how to write formulas, even very complex formulas. So I now realize later that many businesses don't have structure. They don't have a structured way of keeping data. So I also do that on the side for businesses where I, I help them with structuring their data and then building data systems in general for them to keep records, proper records, and to analyze and make decisions. And for some businesses too, I'm on their board. And then for some other ones, um, something I began last year, so someone made me an offer to do one hour per week, um, online meeting, general management meeting. So I attend those kind of meetings for um, three companies now, and I get paid monthly for that, one hour every week just general management meeting to listen to what they are doing and then um, advice, you know, and I, I, I do that also. Um, tourism is one other thing that I have an interest in. So on this side, every now and then, if you follow me on my social media, you see that I travel a lot, you know, so tourism is another thing I, I'm interested in. And yeah, well, every now and then to I organize um, tour experiences for people in Nigeria. So basically, yeah, that's what my my journey has been so far. And I've never really had a work-life balance. I've always never, I, I never had a job. I've never taken on a job. Everything has just been problem solving and creating new things or doing both and then finding ways to monetize that. That's that's been it basically. All right, thank you, thank you very much, sir. So the average Nigerian is running an uphill task. It's almost like a rat race against a lot of mitigating factors. There's you have the inflation, you have the very low minimum wage, you have selfish or poor leadership. It's almost as if wealth creation or individual wealth creation and wealth financial freedom is a myth. Now, how can an average Nigerian achieve independence financially oh oh wow 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 this 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 question is um you know this question is actually a a very important one because when we who go to talk about financial freedom financial independence talk about wealth when we do that in a place like nigeria remember how i told you that those things i read in those years I needed to adapt it to, and I was a student. I wasn't, I wasn't rich in those years. In fact, I don't think most people know that the first 10 years of running money culture, it wasn't profitable. I, I had to be a cab guy for some three years, you know, driving a cab around while running that company. In fact, there was a day I met my younger brother and I entered the taxi and someone shouted, money culture, you know, you are the guy that came to speak somewhere. You understand, but I was entering a taxi, you know, so the principles are true. So once we understand them from that viewpoint of principles, then we'll begin to look at, um, you know, very realistic ways to begin to work our way out of whatever financial situation we may be in that is not favorable, that is not the ideal. So we start at the bottom. You can't be thinking of, uh, you, you, or um, you can't be thinking of it, but you can't be attempting to practice investing when you have not taken care of the basics in your life. It won't work. I've heard of people who, on the extreme, they have attempted to save and invest, even though they were not earning much. It is possible, but it is a lot more difficult. 
So where we where, where everyone should start from in Nigeria for the average Nigerian is that you have to go and um, learn how to make money. Yes, so we start from money making. And you know, money making is different from wealth accumulation. That's one of the things I teach. It's one is the core of my message that we must separate money making from wealth accumulation. And um, you might have noticed at this point, whenever I, I, I want to talk about wealth, the verb I use is accumulation. I never say wealth creation. I never say you build wealth. No, that's because, um, of course, this is not a class, you know. Uh, about 12 years into my research, I now discovered clearly what this wealth is. I have a very clear understanding of what it is in itself. You know, it is not primarily a thing. It is a position you take financially. It is more if yet it is more of a position you take financially than the things you have. So um, the average person who maybe probably makes 20k or 30k or 50k a month will think that oh the goal is to start making 10 million a month. Even at that point, you are you are now rich, very rich at that. You are not wealthy. Now, back to the origin of how I started what I started um, this whole journey. I told you my dad was very rich. So the question would be, how do very rich people eventually become broke? The answer is simple. They never understood. And the ones currently who are rich today do not understand what wealth is. They do not know the difference between being rich and being wealthy. I know that these words are used interchangeably to describe having a lot of money or a lot of possession. I know. I'm not unaware of that, but I'm saying that conceptually, I have differentiated them so that people understand that the goal, the ultimate financial goal is to be wealthy. So, but for the person who is not yet comfortable enough to begin to practice proper investing, my, um, which is why if you notice, I hardly talk about on my page, I hardly talk about um, money making. My message is to people who are already making a decent amount of, and by decent in Nigeria, I, I mean, if you are single and you are earning anywhere above 100,000 to 150,000, you should be able to practice investing, to be frank. You don't need 500,000 to do that. I think part of our challenge is discipline. Yes, a lot of us are not disciplined because I know people who are, who are not earning much when I first spoke to them who are now earning 10, 20 times what they were earning back then, they are still unable to invest, you know? So we have to strike that balance. So you learn a skill. Don't, um, the average job in Nigeria these days will not give you room to invest, right? And even if you have a job, if you can learn a skill, or it will be a skill, maybe a skill you already have, learn how to monetize what you already know how to do. Everyone, must wear the hearts of entrepreneurship in today's Nigeria to increase income. When you increase income, do not also increase lifestyle. You must then begin to learn, first of all, invest in education. So invest in getting to understand how this money works and how investment works, what your ultimate financial goal will be. Yeah, the inflation rate is terrible, but like, like I like to tell people, um, value comes before everything. I mean, there's a reason why you go to the market today and they tell you a tin of uh, Milo is 1.3. You go next week and they tell you it's now 1,004. The companies that, the company producing the product, it, once, once there's an increase in raw material, they would simply increase the price. I tell people that every time. You don't, be, don't you, as an entrepreneur, who knows what they are doing, who has real value. You should not be afraid of increasing price when you ought to increase price. So that's the power entrepreneurship gives you, not, not just any other kind of entrepreneurship. When you are really, really adding value, you would have that um, bargaining power you know, to negotiate your uh, price. So we'll start from there. If inflation keeps going up, you do your review and then you increase your price. What's inflation simply means that there's um, there's 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 more new money than more new 
um, services and goods or money value floating around. So you have a lot, you have, you have, you have more money floating around. It may not be in the hands of everyone, it may be in the hands of a few people, but the money has been created and introduced into the economy. That's what it means. So you have to learn how to call the, the, the systems bluff. I like to call it the Babylonian systems bluff. And so long as you, you know, you are sure of the value that you are offering, then you should be, you should be convinced enough to increase price to match or even beat the inflation rate. So um, these things, I know these things I have said, they are more of a mental thing, like a mindset thing, than even about just struggling. It is the mindset even that, that has kept a lot of Nigerians and a lot of people all over the world, you know, where they are financial. That's the mindset we need to break, you know, so of scarcity and all of that, because in terms of natural resource, Nigeria has it in abundance. So if you are not able to find one of the things that you convert, into a product and then be able to price it properly. And there's a problem somewhere in how you are thinking. Yeah, it's hard. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it's possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as a quick follow-up question to that, you, you mentioned that it's um th- there's a huge difference between being rich and being wealthy. Do you just want to say in a few in a few lines yeah. what that difference is? Okay, yeah, nice, nice question. Um, to be rich is to have a lot of money and material things. To be wealthy is to have a lot of time and yet continue to have income and those material things. So to be wealthy is to be, is, is to, and then the only way you can have wealth is to leverage on every other person's ability or better put is to leverage on the economic system such that you've now transferred the burden of money making to the economy notice how i'm not saying necessarily just to others is to the there's a system at work which is the economic system when a higher percentage percentage is very key not necessarily the amount when a higher percentage of your say yearly income comes from the system than from your efforts, whether be it mental or physical. That's well. So I, there's something I came up with. I, I want to. I, I would like to think that it's not. Um, I think I've seen a variation of it somewhere else. It's not unique to me. I just arrived at it in, over the years, thinking these things through. So I have something I call the wealth index. So and it's, it's a very very interesting. It's why I actually live the. I, I live in a place called Ushubu. Who moves from Portaco to Ushubu? Me, because I can. I can go try it out. Yes, because uh, I'm, at, I'm now at a point where most of the money I make yearly, most of it comes from either things I do that requires very little effort and the things I do that require no effort of, of my own. Right? So the idea is this. I came up with something called the wealth index. It's measured in percentages. So you, so let's give, let me give an example of a person, two people. One receives 100 million naira in a year. The other receives, say, only about 20 million naira in a year. So the guy that receives 100 million naira has a company or has companies and does business. What that means is that they must go and work. They must, they must grind. They must manage things. They must push. They must continue. And then you have to continue doing that to keep that engine going. If a business person listening to me, I know you know what that means, right? There's no, okay, we've achieved 100 million. No, what about next year? You have to plan again. The engine has to keep going. And it's human energy that pushes that engine. Fine, there's that guy. But he makes 100 million or more every year. His wealth index, when you look at 100 million, let's say 90 million, or 95 even comes from that's his business or those businesses he does. And then maybe 5 million is, you know, some people think they have investments, whatever financial scheme he has put his money in that just yields something small. So 5 million of the income flows from there. His wealth index is 5%. His riches is 100 million. The other guy who earns 20 million, maybe his granddad had done investments for him over the years. Then he has come to a point where he understands the principles and then the inflow for 
the year, that 20 million, about, let's say about um, 18 million Naira flows from there. So the guy just does one or two things every now and gets. His wealth index is 90%. That means if you were to stop doing anything, if for any reason he, he did not, he was unable to put any effort in money making, his lifestyle will be maintained. The other guy has more, but he's depending solely or so much on his own energy. In fact, this is the core reason why a lot of people you know, you and I know, who are rich today will be surely become broke. There's a system at work. So in my courses, which I have, that is what, in fact, I was thinking of renaming my course, goes, so that the naming goes straight at the point, but it sounds too, uh, you know, this conspiracy theory thing, it sounds like that, but over the years of doing my research, I discovered that that's clearly what it was, that slavery never ended. They only changed how it was done and included every race. In it. So there's something called financial slavery. And money-mindedness is the main um, chain that they used to hold people to be and remain financial slaves all their lives or until they realize it when they are old or when something goes very terrible, something that happens to their source of their primary source of income. So so that's that's the major difference between to being wealthy and being rich. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very, very much, sir. Now, uh, focusing on the stock market, you've, you've mentioned that um, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger seem to preach principles or seem to promote principles that you agree with. Is there any particular kind of investing in the stock market that appeals to you or that you feel offers the best chance of success to investors? Oh, yes, 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 there is. And I think that that's why we are having, you know, this interview in yeah, the first place. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, there is. And that, and that is what uh, Warren, um, I think is before Warren Buffett, there was um, um, Benjamin, Benjamin Graham. Graham. Yeah. Yes, which Warren Buffett, you know, his book, The Intelligent Investor, Warren Buffett read that and now built on that. And just like, like he built on that, I have also listened to Warren Buffett, few of his interviews, but I've mostly read those is annual letters and um, beyond the I'm not I'm not I'm not someone who places facts above principles you know so uh, it is principles that facts are generated from you know principles are far more important so I've gotten the spirit of what Warren Buffett is doing which is value which is what he calls value investing right which which is also the approach, but beyond, I think I, I, I kind of modified and improved on it. So what, what we do at Money Culture, we call it economy ownership. Because at the end of the entire thing, the engine, the thing you want to own, the, the, the thing, the only financial engine that continues to outlive people and will continue to outlive people is the economy itself. The economy is basically a, a, a product of everybody's energy. For everybody, whether they like it or not, it's by design. It could be the regional economy of a, of a, of a state or a country or even a region in the world. Or, and then, of course, by extension, the entire world. But there's an economic engine that will never stop. It will never stop. So, so to help investors understand it better, I tell them is economy ownership. What you are basically doing is that through certain principles like Pareto principle and some other things, you are owning portions, your own portion of the economy. It's not so much as the amount of the portion you own. It is that it is the nature of what you own, which is an engine that operates outside of your, completely outside of your effort. Uh-huh. Now, if you know how to, now knowing how to tap into it, that's now where the work is. If you understand how it works, and know where and how and when to continue tapping into it, accumulating your own portion of it, then you are good. So in the capital market, and um, I think like Strive Massey, you are, if you know Strive Massey, you yeah. are, you know, yeah, he, know has, um, uh, he, has, he has said it a couple of times and he has actually um, endorsed my thoughts on, on three or four occasions. And the endorsements coming from someone of that caliber, you know, means a lot to me. I often say that sometimes I don't know why I've not copied those his comments, you know, or and um, you know, and then I, I should I should go and frame them, <laughs> you know, I should go and frame them. It's actually very, it's more important than a, a, a school certificate, you know, when somebody at that level says what this person is saying, 
not once, not twice, three or four times. So to know that it's not a fluke, you know. Uh -huh. So the point is, it's value investing. Um, it's first understanding. Before we talk about what people do, people ought to have the right mindset because they can be carrying out the actions and not really understand why they are doing what they are doing. So I think it begins with um, understanding that, see, so long as we are alive, as human beings exist on this earth, they would always have needs. And with the way life is, a few people are usually responsible for meeting most other people's needs. And they do that via what you call a company, an organization. So what you are basically doing is that you are looking for these few people's businesses to own part of. In fact, the concept is so simple that the simplicity is the problem. Like Charlie Monga, which my first uh, partner, you know, has pointed out this several times. The simplicity is the problem that people don't like what is simple and what, what does not require too many activity. You know, value investing requires very little activity. It requires you to understand it, to be prepared for opportunities when they eventually show up. And then once you take action, you go to sleep, rest. You are not going to be doing much of anything again for many years. Maybe adjustments here and there. So that's, that's my approach to investing. And then the other alternative, which, you know, the word investing is used to label a lot of financial activities. I call them financial activities and financial schemes. But um, if we are to be sincere, you can see that even on, on a platform like the capital market, there are basically two sets of financial activities that go on there. What I have described earlier, is what investing is when you own portions of a business for the long term and if possible forever. If the company can sustain its growth for the next 100 years, why should you exit it? Growth means them paying you from their profits. You know, and Ajibola, one thing I have um, discovered, which is that on one hand, you know, we understand people know what it means to run or own portion of a business when that business is not in a capital market. They know that I am investing in this business to make profits. They know that. Yes, that's okay. I'm not the one running it. But when, at the end of the year, I expect to be paid profit. That's the only reason my money is there. How much am I being paid? It could be quarterly, it could be yearly, it could even be monthly. But the idea is that the company, the business or the company needs to make profit and I'll get paid from that profit. If it makes a profit again the next year, I'll get paid. If it continues to make profit for 10 years, I, that's why people invest. They know that. Suddenly, when you come to the capital market, because that option of exiting and getting more, because that option exists, most people then tend to focus on that activity and call it investing. It is really not. It is actually speculation. And, you know, with everything speculation, um, some people are bound to lose eventually. Wow, you you said it brilliantly and absolutely perfectly. I it's I don't think I've heard it elucidated this brilliantly. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. Now uh, let's talk a little bit about your investing practice. Um, when you analyze companies or when you look at companies that pick your interest? Are there things that put you off, things that you don't want to see in companies that you eventually invest in? Okay. Um, yes. I like the way this question is, is like an inverse of the way people usually ask, ask the question, you know, which is what, what you look out for, you know, in a business you want to invest in. Now you're asking um, um, what you don't want to see in a business that, uh, you know, okay, um, one is, um, how do I explain it now? One is um, um, a, a, a lack of consistency. I actually responded to someone in our community yesterday who posted one in a Nigerian company that just paid a dividend of, I think, one and said how, said how the company was doing well for themselves. I said that that company is not consistent. Is not consistent, is inconsistency, is not consistent in its growth and even in these dividends. So when I notice inconsistency, I I don't I don't and of course I can get that from looking at the company's um, um financial history, then dividends and bonus history also. 
So inconsistency is one of the things I look out for. Um, the second thing I look out, so inconsistency in growth, inconsistency even in giving rewards to the investors, because like I said earlier, outside of the capital markets, we all understand why businesses exist. Solve problems, make profit, and share profit. So when a business starts behaving outside of that um, scenario, which is the reality of the human uh, um, uh, situation, because you, people need to make money at intervals. It could be once a year, not a problem. But when a company no longer pays dividends for three to four years and you want to explain that away as growth, as a strategy for growth, I, for some reason, I don't support that. I know that some companies apply that strategy, you know. I don't thought that's one of the things I I do not like in a company, right? Then there is also um, the issue of a lack of clear vision. So um, I don't know if I'm allowed to call the names of of our so that it doesn't come off as as an investment, you know, recommendation. So when you look at various industries, you will see that you will see that some companies, okay. Let me use this example that would make sense. So if you go back to the early 2000s, you would see that in our banking sector, right, you will see that Guarantee Trust Bank and Zenith Bank had a plan, a clear plan to move from, I call it analog banking to digital banking. It was obvious. Yes, they were acquiring computers. They were moving in that direction clearly. So once I notice that a company doesn't have that clear plan, no. Another thing I look out for: if a company is not top of their their sector, I also do not bother about them. And they are, so, for example, when I say top, first twenty percent Pareto principle, and there is um there is something recorded in the Bible that Jesus said. I read a version of it in a book called The Master Key System by a guy called Charles F. Hanel. So in the master key system, he he wrote the book in chapters and verses. In, in an interesting way. So chapter one, verse one opens with that much gathers more is true on every plane of existence, and that lost leads to greater loss is equally true. You know. That's interesting. Uh, <laughs> the man who. who Yes, yes. So you know that feeling of is a small company is going to grow. I mean, that's how these whole crypto ICOs for cryptos now. That's how they've 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 you know um 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 swindled a lot of people because they go like, oh, it's just small. Now that was how Bitcoin was at one time. The price was very little, and it went as high as no. That 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 the the Bitcoin didn't go up because the price was little. It's because something. Something fundamental about it was right or was good, uh-huh, which is what has sustained it till now. So it will be better for those people who are in that particular field to, to go and do something that is well known, that still has value. Remember, we're not going to throw, we're not going to say because it's just big and they are top of their industry. That's not the only criteria, but it's one of the key criteria because they became big for a reason. If that reason is still there, then by all means invest. I also look, look out for and matured the level of maturity because now we're talking about the capital market, right? So yeah, outside of the capital market, of course, other rules may apply, you know. So that's one of the things I look out for that the company has. If it's not there, then and I've seen this play out a lot, you know, over the years of um, investing in, in like that. No, if a company doesn't have these things, just leave it alone. No matter how attractive it may seem sometimes. Leave it alone. Stick with consistency. Brilliant. Thank you very, very much, sir. Now, uh, there's something that a lot of value investors have said, um, and that's that principles from value investing or principles from investing can be extrapolated and applied even to everyday life. And um, a, a hallmark of a lot of the good value investors is that you know they have they live fulfilled lives and they're the worthy of emulation kind of. Now, are there any principles or are there things that you've learned from investing which you have applied in your everyday life? Yes. Um, basically, I will sum it up two things. The need to have understanding and discipline. 
yes, those two things are usually um, um, they are basically the bedrock for every other thing in life of moving forward, understanding as understanding, then the discipline to apply. Just think about any other subject. We can usually just so let's say marriage, for example, you need to understand what it is first. Haven't understood the, the discipline to apply what you have understood, what you now know. So I, I that's what I learned from, you know, because I realized that I had talked to lots of people over the years. Some of them would agree with me that what you're saying is true. They would even go as far as telling others about me. They themselves will either not invest or they will begin to invest and not invest consistently. So I now realize that, I think I was it, is it a Japanese um, proverb that said something about that the man who is disciplined, like who shows up, who is consistent, will eventually become, become more successful than the man who is um, skilled, who is brilliant at that same thing. Something like that. I think I'm paraphrasing, but you get the, get the gist. Yeah. So that's what I learned from investing, that insight is good. And you must have it because if you are constantly doing the wrong thing, you're not going to like people who go take their money and putting it in things like fixed deposits and treasury bills and think they are going somewhere. They are not going anywhere. They may be disciplined in doing that, but they are not going anywhere. So that's why I said, and the and is very key. Understanding, seek to understand from the very fundamentals. So from Miles Monroe, I learned something interesting from Miles Monroe, which is that. In whatever subject you want to dig into, start from the history, the origin, the why, the origin, why did this thing start? Then follow the history from whenever it started and wherever it started, follow it down to your present time. Try to have the accurate history. So you will see how either the original purpose became corrupted, of which you can restore that, or you will see how it became improved upon. But the core, I tell people that human emotions, at the end of the day, the human emotions we are all trying to satisfy, they would never change. They would never change. They are basically the same things. They would always remain the same things, right? Uh, so we just have come up with different ways of trying to get to that point to satisfy you know, those emotions. So once you find out the why behind the thing and the, the origin and the history of that thing and study it down, you usually be good. And then once you does usually be good in terms of having understanding. I practically tell people that you think that someone was, you think it's a figure of speech when somebody tells you that you should choose understanding over gold and silver, which represents money. He's not saying that, it's not a cliche. It's not just like, oh, that's the quote and unquote, that's the wise thing to do. No. That's literally the smarter thing to do because if the understand, if you really have the understanding, then you would always have money flowing to you. So a man who would choose a man or woman who would choose money, you know, over these things, I know that they really don't know what they are doing yet. That they don't have understanding because when you really have understanding, money will follow. Same way, I, I you know, on the side note, I tell people that. If you go on my uh, on my Facebook, you'll see me maybe share a post from a particular person sometimes and commend the post because it rings as true. I have done the, I've read it and I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I'll 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 commend it. Then you see me share another post from the same person, and I would I would disagree and try to correct it or correct the parts of it that I think is not right. See, it's not about the individual. Now, the question then would then be, um, am I trying to, I, I'm not trying to make enemies. Now, it's neither about the making enemies or being friends with the person. It's about the accuracy of what's being said. And what I've discovered, so people will say, are you not, don't you like to be liked? I like to be liked, but I like to be liked in truth. So that truth, understanding again, practice, it comes to bear in every area of my life. So I, I think it's about that. When I say understanding, I'm talking accuracy. I'm talking truth. Thank, thank you very much yes. for, for that, for that, um, for that answer. 
Um, now, can you? Sh- I, I know you're you are someone that reads a lot. Obviously, from all that we've talked about, um, are, are there any three books that you feel have impacted yeah. you the most, and you would strongly recommend listeners to to think and grow rich, Napoleon Hill. Think and grow rich, Napoleon Hill. Um. The richest man in Babylon. I like how they simplify this entire principle too. Then um, there's a book that by a guy called Michael Leboff, uh, which is um, the millionaire in you. It's, it's the book. Is the is the very realistic nature of the book that I like. But all these three books I mentioned, they are just on finance. Yes, those 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 three books in the areas of finance, I recommend them a lot. All right, thank thank you. I I, I certainly hope the listeners are taking notes and will do the right thing with getting those books and reading them. Now, as as we begin to wind up this discussion, um, if you could meet one person, um, a living character, somebody who is dead, a fictional character from a movie or from a book, or if you could meet just one person and spend an hour chatting with that person, who would you like to meet and why? Warren Buffett, of course. <laughs> to, be Warren, to be Warren Buffett. Just not necessarily because, oh well, um, not necessarily because I want to learn anything from him. And if I'm sincere, if the man had put his thoughts on paper and I can have access to that. I want to think that like I said, I have caught the spirit of what he's doing and expanded on it just for the for the sake of like, oh, this is the person that you know articulated this whole thing so well. Yeah, that it will be Warren Buffett for the fun of it, for the love of it. Yes. yes. To be Warren Buffett. To be to be quite honest too, I think that will be my choice as well. <laughs> Aha. <laughs> All right. It's about Warren Buffett, and I, and I think that with Warren Buffett, there is something about him that um, he's not, and I think he has alluded to that in a sense. He's not normal. He's not. He, you know, in 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 so in in my teachings, I I have developed several ways to try to get people to see what investing really is, you know, and I'm, I continue to develop. You can call them analogies. You can call them parables. So I'm, I keep trying to come up with different ways because I know that, you know, we all think different. We all have, we all have, we are coming from different backgrounds, different worldviews. So one of the ones I use is how that, um, you know, some people are, are gifted in various areas than others. In fact, in economics, there's something called the law of comparative advantage. You know, yes, how that some people just have an advantage. It is true that Lionel Messi trains a lot to play football. It's also true that if you look at the way his body is built and something about him just works for that particular profession right from when he was even a kid. He's not the only one that started the academy as a kid now. There's something about him that just works. The same thing with JJ Okocha, you know, for dribbling. You know, the same thing with certain persons for music. So, so such that the same to some people for they just know how to paint. How come as kids they can just take nobody told them and they can just take a a a, a brush or a pencil and draw nicely? They, they, nobody taught them. Then they, they have a brother that does not have an inclination to do those things. Right? Uh-huh. In fact, I make this clear by going to the Bible. I tell people, just keep reading the book of Genesis. You see how they'll say this begat this, this person begat this, begat this. The first musician, he made a flute. Sorry, he made a flute. You know, so okay. So that means before this person was born, there wasn't a flute in this world. Yes, think about it. There wasn't a flute in this world in existence. So from where did he get the inspiration to make a flute? Exactly my point. And for some reason, we think that the human beings that continue to come into this world don't have that same uniqueness about them. They do. We do. So it brings me to the point. 
everyone has something that they have an advantage in. What we do as economic beings also is simple. It's not as though you cannot go and um, plant cotton and get the cotton and make clothes or sew it. You may just not have that inclination. So you go do what you have the inclination to do. You take your produce, which is converted to money these days, part of it, and you pay another person for what they can do for you. Because no matter how hard you try to do what they are doing for you, you will never do it as good as they do it for you. Right? Now, apply this same to money making. That's what investing is. Yes. You are buying income from people that know how to make money more than you. And they've proven themselves. So it's that same comparative advantage. You're taking advantage of their... So once you see that way that you are just buying an ability from Dan Guti, you know, there's a part of my course where I just show them people's pictures. They go like, I know this person, I know this person. I'm like, okay, fine. That's great. I asked them a question like, so if Graham Heffer, the guy who 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 pushed Okomo oil from where it was in 2008 up until this point, so it's a, it's a, it's a big company now. I show them Jim Ovia's picture. I show them Dan Guti's picture. And I show them these people's picture. I'm like, if... If today you are giving, let's say there are five of them, you are giving 15 million naira, and these people as a group, they are giving 15 million naira also, 10, 10 million each. And then they are operating as a group, running different businesses. Then you you have, you go and run business with your 50N. I asked them that question. I said, in 10 years, in 20 years, who do you think will most likely be there you versus them as a group who do you think will also probably have made more certainly them <laughs> fine that's what investing is is because you are leveraging on what they are doing is that the rate at which their businesses are growing that's the same rate your investment with them is growing so back to buffet this is what buffet has buffet just has that thing in his mind that helps him see these patterns understand these things easily and knows when to take position and leave it at that. He can stick with the truth of the matter and not budge, even when things seem to be going wrong, because those things never actually go wrong. It's the economy now. The economy will always continue to thrive, you know. So that's it, basically. It's Warren Buffett. That's, that's an absolutely brilliant point to, to wrap things up. Um, yeah. Just because you've mentioned it a couple of times, you've talked about your courses, you've talked about a few services that you render. Um, for someone listening to this who wants to get in touch with you to take advantage of some of those services, what's the best way of getting in yes. touch with you? Okay, they can do that via WhatsApp. They can get to me via WhatsApp. So I have a WhatsApp for um, that particular business. Okay. And are you comfortable sharing that number on air? Oh yes, 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 not a problem. I, I, I'm, I'm good with sharing that number on air. All right, go for it, sir. Zero eight zero nine seven one seven eight five. Perfect. Uh, so yes. just to reiterate, that's zero eight zero nine seven one seven nine four seven five. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Uh, I, I hope you get inundated with uh, a lot of requests and people getting in touch. I hope I, 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 I hope so too. So, <laughs> what, what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to um, make access to the course, to the parts on the courses in two parts. The reason is to give people the benefit of that doubt. The course is not is not cheap. I don't I also don't I also don't see it's expensive because it isn't. You know, back to this mindset thing. I saw an article yesterday that said that um, you cannot get a G-Wagon from Benz until 2024 currently because that line of production, the orders are that much, right? You heard when Elon Musk talked about how many people deposited for that when he launched. So, you know, this notion that we sometimes have of saying certain things, I myself, I'm still learning, I'm still growing in this mentality, you know? It's like I've opened a door and people, believe it or not, every other month, something new is dropping, something new is dropping. I'm like, oh, so you begin to think, you know, people will tell you, people usually just will explain their, what they try to explain is that they explain their, they, they rationalize their fears, their belief system. That's what we get most of the time. 
you know, it's just a rationalization of belief system. Tell you, and what about the demography? You know, um, you have to appeal to. I'm like, no, you have to to the value of that thing you are doing. Give it its value first. Then, without watering down the value, find ways to uh, make sure that as many people as possible get to afford it. So the cost is 120k currently, right? That's what it's, it goes for. However, what we're trying to do now is we're trying to make it, it's part one and then two parts, we're trying to make it accessible. I understand why somebody might have an objection with paying 120k for a cost, 120k naira for a cost from someone that they don't yet trust. So there's need to build that trust, right? So what we're about, sometimes the person may want to learn more. So what we're doing now is we're making it 29,700 for part one of the course. Yes, that part one deals with those concepts, the proper mindset with which you need, the, this whole thing we've talked about, you know, separating money-making from wealth accumulation, showing you all of the, 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 the financial challenge, most of the financial challenges we face, frankly, a lot of us are not even aware until it's too late. The real ones, like slavery, you know, and I'll, historically, I'll show you that financial slavery is real and that we are in it. In fact, we are more in it today than it was many years ago. So those are the things I, I look at when, when um, um, proposing, you know, the class to people that come and do part one first. I don't know if you've read Warren Buffett's definition of investing. There's one in invest, uh, investment letter. He wrote it there. How they define investing at Berkshire Hathaway? Yes, in that invest, in that definition, he addressed something very important. Where he talked about that the riskiness of an investment is not measured by beta. So beta is basically a term that they use in Wall Street to to measure volatility, right? Uh -huh. So he goes that that's not how you measure the riskiness of an investment. That the riskiness of an investment should be measured by its um, probability of causing you a loss in purchasing power. So if you flow from that definition, you will now see that things like treasury bills, things like uh, bonds, you know, whether government bonds or whether banks are coming to selling bonds, see those low interest but assured you know, so-called secured schemes. They are more, Buffett says they are actually more, they, they are the most dangerous forms of asset. That's how he describes them. Because, do you know why? They are sure to cause you a loss in purchasing, in purchasing power. Yeah, the purpose of those things is usually to manage inflation when it's coming from government. It's to manage inflation, it's to mop up cash, uh, and then to reward you. It's not even a reward because to reward you, could I say less inflation on that money you decided to keep with them for a period of time? You 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 get so those are some of the things you see me correcting, and then at the end of the first class, I then give them like a a uh, like a, a a list that if somebody tells you put your money in something, if it doesn't meet one, two, three, four, five criteria, it is not an investment, and if it's something you should do. Do it knowing what it is. So if you are going to take your money now and put in treasury bills, it's good for preserving your money. Yes, you preserve your money for short-term purposes. So your rent is coming over the next one year. You can be buying treasury bills. Uh -huh. You know, you can. So I, I, I'm not the kind of person that just says, this is not an investment, therefore don't do it. No, I could then tell you what best that thing can be good for. But there are some of the practices I say no to right away. Even crypto, I tell people, see, Ethereum and Bitcoin, you can put a bit of your money there. Because the Bitcoin has, has a, a utility. It does. But they're not using it for that purpose. It's just like the way when we say capital market, you know what the average person is thinking of? It's not this thing we're discussing. They're thinking of buying and selling of stocks. 
And that's why they are ready, they are ready for the day. What of what of if the stock market crashes? Uh, value investors will not be they will see stock market crashes as on a good opportunity because that same fear that drove the prices down will drive even valuable companies pricing down. And then you can then take advantage of that. Some of the best investments I made were in that 2008, 2009, 2010 period. You know, Okomo Oil is one of them. Okomo Oil sold for as low as 8 Naira, 15 Naira per share. Uh-huh. I bought, I bought, I bought a couple of it then back then for myself and some investors. So this, this is what that first class handles. All of these concepts then now tells you, okay, the best platform is the capital market because now you are looking to invest in businesses. Then the, the, the master class, which is part two, now deals with the capital market itself because a lot of people don't understand how it works. So we deal with everything. Why? It, we always start with why. Where did, where did it come from? Why does it exist? Because once they understand why. So the course is designed like a program. I mean, a mental programming stuff. So that at the end of the day, I, I there's a reason I'm telling you this before this, before this, before this. Uh, some of the testimonies we've gotten is that people actually experience a, a tangible shift in their minds as regards how they view finances. It's been brilliant having this conversation with you, sir. You've, you've blown my mind. <laughs> We've talked quite extensively about a lot of subjects and I really appreciate you for taking your time to have this chat with us. All right. And hopefully, probably we can have this chat again some other time, <laughs> if, if, if you don't mind. Yes, yes, yes. I, 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 think, I, I think we should.